Costas was still hunched over, blinking his amazement into the darkness of his hands cupped over his eyes. When the crowd of footsteps had reached the stair at the end of the hall, he finally lowered his hands to the floor on either side of his knees. He rested them gingerly on the wood boards, as if there had been an earthquake and he wasn't sure it was over. He sat up slowly. The earthquake wasn't over. The king still sat on the stool, his legs still stretched in front of him, still crossed at the ankle. The king rubbed his face with his hand, pausing to finger gently the bruise beside his mouth. He said at last, That was terrifying, but I suppose you are used to excitement? Eugenides, as we have seen in subsequent storylines, Costas would literally rather fight a lion. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Aetolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is in 324 days. It's October 6th, 2019. Today, Irene threatens, Eugenides whines, Costas grovels, and nobody understands what anybody else is talking about. Which is the new theme for King of Aetolia. Before we start talking about this chapter, I know... That we talked about the prologue and we put it in a box and we put it away and it's over. But I was doing the transcript and I was listening to our discussion and I did have one thought, which is that we were talking about why does the prologue exist? Why is it formatted that way? Why is Irene in it? Why does it feel like a holdover from Queen of Atolia? And what we didn't talk about was the fact that each of these books is supposed to be a standalone novel in a world mm. and you're not supposed to have to read them in any particular order and so only thinking about the prologue as like what does this mean coming on the heels of the queen of Atolia gives you an incomplete picture of what it's doing in the story and if you're approaching it as this is the first book you're picking up the prologue is probably essential just for telling you what's going on yeah i had not thought of that before that's absolutely a good reason to have that it's the previously on yeah of this book okay we're back to costas <laughs> so in this chapter which is very short the queen arrives in uh costas's room and is angry that she had to come here to talk about it and she and jen basically have an argument over what to do and um so she says to Eugenides, like, you have an order to hanging. And he says, I don't want to hang him. And she says, you will not meddle with the machinery of justice. Which I thought uh, is very characteristic of how she approaches ruling and, like, morals. Like, we've seen so much of, um, like, how ruthless and how cruel she can be. But she does have a very strong sense of justice of i'm doing this for a reason and And of the impartiality of justice like it's the machinery it's not personal it's not biased exactly and she's so scary she comes Mm -hmm. into the room like a force of nature and costas is immediately on the ground (laughs) his head's on the ground but jen is uh He's responding to her completely differently. Yeah. He's very calmly. He he remains relaxed. He's talking back to her. She says, Maybe I'll hang you. Like she threatens to hang him and he says, Oh, you missed your chance for that. Mm. But this is the first time we see them interact 
after having been married. Yeah. And the dialogue is so great. Yeah. It's funny and it's off-putting. She continues to be her implacable, terrifying, angry self. Avalanche <laughs> self. And Jen, he comes in around her and he rolls with the punches of everything that she says. Mm-hmm. And he can kind of... He, he he bursts the balloon of her scariness, I think. A little bit. A little bit. Not enough that Costas notices in his own bubble of horror. Yes. He's 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 having a, a bad day. Hey, we had we had Eugenity's no good, very bad day. <laughs> and this is now Costas's no good, very bad day. Ugh. We get a little more detail about Costas. It says that um Tileus himself had selected him younger than most trainees for service, and after a year of training had selected him again for the Queen's Guard, and that Costas fought in the Battle of Thegmus during the war, and he performed well, and that was why he was um, promoted to squad leader. That information comes from Jen. Mm -hmm. Jen knows that Costas served in this battle. He knows that he served with distinction. Jen does- he gives away- he shows his hand a little bit. Yeah. He- is not ignorant, mm-hmm. uh, but people are so busy assuming that he is that they don't notice when he shows it to them. Right. So this answers the question we had with Chip that we were all wondering last episode of, like, to what extent has Jen planned all of this? Like, I think this means, since he already comes in knowing so much about Costas, yeah. either he had picked Costas specifically to antagonize, to like, make Costas the one that this plan hinges on before Costas punched him, or after the punch, maybe he went and found all that out about Costas in a day when he put together the plan. I do think... I don't know. I think it was planned pre-punch. I think so, too. This is a pre-punch plan. Because it's... <laughs> I, I think he says that later. Yeah, I think at the very end of the book, he says... And we'll have to see when we yeah. get there. Even we who have read the book before need to give Jen more credit, and we're assuming that he is less prepared than he is. Yes. When Costas talks, Atolia, uh, she spoke as if her dog had suddenly sat up and begged to be heard. The image that I get from this scene is it's your parents, and Jen is like, your fun dad. <laughs> And Irene is your scary mom. And they're good cop, bad copping you <laughs> when you stayed out too late. That's what this is like to me, except the stakes are whether or not you're going to die. Costas is, he's not prepared for this. I feel like Jen and Irene don't have pets. But instead they have people. Yes. Eugenity's <laughs> like, can I keep him? <laughs> You can have the guardsman if you take care of him. Don't let him bite anyone. <laughs> we see in this chapter that, first of all, Atolia did not know about the pranks everyone has been pulling on Jen, but also Relius did not know. He's been turning himself inside out for weeks. He suspected something. But everyone else does. Yeah, so that's... The entire palace is always talking about it, laughing about it. Right. So that's pretty big that, like, how was this kept a secret from Relius, the master of spies? Like, I mean, it's maybe understandable that no one was going to mention it to Irene, but... 
I was surprised when I read, you know, Rallius was in the dark on this. It's one of those things where the background people, the attendants, the guards, the kitchen staff, they have a world of their own Mm -hmm. that the noble people aren't in on. Yeah. And, like, their ability to organize things uh, is underestimated. Right. And their importance in, like, you need those people's loyalty so much in order to function. Exactly. Because they can keep things from you. Especially if they're united. Good God. And they could, as this chapter points out, like, you know, this is just sand and the food and snakes in the web, but they could kill Jen yeah. in a heartbeat. Any of them. <laughs> Which would start a war, etc. We also don't know how long Irene has been away. She went hunting. Um, which I really want to think about. I think it was just a day. Just a day? Because it, let me pull that up. I'm pretty sure Wow, it was she's just gone a for trip. one day? Yeah. And Eugenides goes and gets himself punched? That's right. Let me find it. It's right here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I left you alone for one minute. All right, okay. Um, so in chapter one, it says, uh, it was afternoon, etc. Costas was waiting for the queen. She had left the palace for the first time since her marriage and had gone hunting. She was to eat at midday at one of the lodges and return sometime in the afternoon. Okay, so it was just a day trip. Yeah. So that wouldn't so be an explanation was... for her not knowing about this thing that's been going on. For two months, mm-hmm. yeah. The servants can control the flow of information about what goes on in the palace. Yeah. And people... They believe that they're defending her mm-hmm. when they do this, but right. they also know that she would never allow it. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the I could hang you comment. Like, was she just, is that, like, a joke? Is that something she's just saying because she's so frustrated? Like, what I, I mean, obviously, we know they're in love, so, like, whatever. But about that kind of back and forth mm-hmm. that they have is that I think that it's not enjoyable, but I think that it's comforting for her that she can threaten him and he will not take it seriously. Yeah. And, like, the punchline of this type of banter is the fact that, like, I'm just kidding because I do love you. Yeah. And it's a joke because I love you. They're at the point where they can make those jokes mm-hmm. and it's okay and when he does need serious reassurance that she's not going to hurt him she gives it right and then when he asks in the the later scene of this chapter he comes in when she's sitting by herself and asks do you still wish you hanged me i thought that was like i've always kind of heard that said in a more serious tone but was that also like a joke asking like oh am i too much trouble is this that's just what he starts the conversation with when he walks in. Maybe. And he and slides he slides the ink pot across her desk so she knows he's there. Yeah. And the ink pot because of, of course, the famous ink <laughs> he pot has a thing for ink pots. They have, that's like their song, is the sound <laughs> of ink pots shattering. I think it is a serious question. Yeah. I think there's an acknowledgement here that she can love him and still wish that she'd hanged him. They have a... A separation between the relationship that they have with each other and what would have been the best decision politically. Like, if he had yeah. not been there, she wouldn't have had to deal with 
whatever shakeups he's creating now. But then they have the, I can't keep on apologizing, he said. Why not, she asked over his head. Well, he said pensively, I think you would be bored. <laughs> Which is another exchange that I love. Yeah. Like, of course he's going to have things to apologize for. On and on forever. Forever. But, uh... Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, and that's who he is as a person, and she knows it. Also, she asks it over his head because in both scenes in this chapter, both the one with Costas and the one uh, where they're alone, he is physically, visually at a lower level than her. Mm -hmm. In Costas's room, uh, she's standing and he's sitting, Mm -hmm. and in her chambers, he takes a cushion, he puts it on the floor, and he sits at her feet. Mm. Nice. That's very striking to me. Yeah. And he'll continue to do that. And he did that with Edith all the time, too. Yeah. It's a, n- a nonverbal reminder of, like, this is where I place you in the world. You're yeah. important. And then also at the beginning, when he moves the inkpot, uh, that paragraph, and also I think to a larger extent that whole scene is, in fact, from Irene's perspective, I think. Which we were talking last time yeah, about we thought like, that whether there wasn't anything else anything from, from hers, from but there is. Right. In this scene... It says, like, oh, he moved an inkpot, and then it says, he was considerate in every detail, which must be her speaking, which is, like, that's really sweet. Like, that's how she thinks of him, is that he's considerate in every detail, which he must be. Like, aw. <laughs> aw, you're reminding me of that time I threw an inkpot at you. <laughs> he's somebody she can be openly frustrated with. Because mm-hmm. she knows that's not going to push him away, or it's safe for her to be angry at him and Edith points out later in thinking conspiracy of kings to sophos she says that jen leaves the reins in atolia's hands because he gets angry which makes him less of a ruler because the emotions get in the way but she only ever gets angry at him yeah i think that a big idea to keep thinking about is the relationship between Jen and self-hatred or self-deprecation and the extent to which he wants other people to have the ultimate say mm. uh, or to hold the reins because he he's afraid of himself or he doesn't like himself. And we had been talking last episode about how uh, Jen admires straightforwardness in other people because it's a quality that he doesn't have himself. Mm. Um, and he... He he loves trustworthy people because he thinks of himself as unable uh, to to do that. And is that something that he doesn't like about himself? And this is also making me think of, I remember uh, a long time ago in some previous book, uh, you had brought up the point that um, one of the reasons Jen feels so ambiguous about, or maybe not ambiguous, but he feels so conflicted about his role as king and he's so, like, understanding of of these pranks and these people is that he feels that people have a right to hate him. I yeah. I think is what you said. When we were talking about, like, these are all the, the crimes that the king of Sunus was shown to have kind of committed against his people, like, I don't know, throwing people in jail or whatever, so this is part of why Jen has felt so ambiguous about royalty uh why he felt so disaffected in the first book chip had been talking about how jen is sometimes cruel mm-hmm. in the the way that he um 
rules yeah and, which is absolutely as, tied up in all of this with you know he feels he has to do that for purposes of ruling but then thinks like what does this make me as a person yeah and i think he's afraid that that's who he is yeah because he has he has multiple personas and one of them is playful and is kind mm -hmm. um but others are not yeah and are. which one is really me mm -hmm. and what if the one that people hate is who I really am. Yeah. I think that's a, a something that he struggles with. And that's something that, I mean, that's very, very real. Yeah. And Irene says later when she's talking to Relius that, uh, like, the reason he's not, you know, taking control of the power at his disposal is because he's afraid of stealing her power. Mm -hmm. He's not unused to wielding power, but it's been in secret before. But he's afraid of making her... While Eugenides is wielding power in secret, uh, he can maintain that playful persona. Mm -hmm. And that separation between himself and what he's doing yeah. is maybe easier to maintain in secret. But once it's like in... Um, Jen was perfectly happy pulling one over on Sophos in The Thief, mm -hmm. but he feels deeply uncomfortable with doing that in later stories. Yeah, because the political aspect has been added. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no real outcome from stealing someone's yogurt or, you know, tricking about your identity. In that case, yeah, and, for and Sophos like, and, specifically, and, like Sophos is from Sunis, and Jen is pulling one over on Sunis in the Thief. Um, but he's doing it. He's doing it from the bottom. He put himself in a position of no power mm -hmm. and then he's pulling a great trick and he's he's taking that power in his big reveal. Whereas when they meet again, it's in this capacity where Eugenides is a person of power. He has all the power in this situation. Sophos is the supplicant coming to ask for his help that Eugenides can now give or deny. Yeah, and that is what jen is uncomfortable with right and so in this situation with costas we see him putting himself in that persona of the thief again mm -hmm. even though he yeah. is he's wielding power in this scene he's convincing irene <laughs> not to kill this guy that's huge but yeah. he's doing it by making jokes and trying to establish fellow feeling with Costas. Yeah, and suggesting bargains and um, and he's he's presenting Irene as the one who has all the power. Like I told you, she wouldn't take the farm, and saying like that was terrifying because yeah. Costas is terrified. So that's establishing, you know, it's the two of us against Irene. And you could argue that, that like you could argue that he's manipulating her here. But he's also manipulating Costas. Yeah, he's manipulating Costas. And I would say that what's happening is that Eugenides and Irene are having a discussion in terms that Costas can't understand. Yeah, Like, absolutely. she knows the game that he's playing. And she knows what he's proposing and what his terms are. She orders Talaeus take the bargain. Because yeah. she knows what his real plan is. Mm -hmm. And Talaeus only does it when she says so. Yeah. Pete, they're very openly disobedient yes, to him openly antagonistic even when it's dangerous to do so like it's in front of her and they're also debating like literally killing someone for having disrespected slash injured him but he's still but delays is still yeah because he he can't follow a man he can't respect mm -hmm. 
Talias is a man of principle. Yeah. Jen knows that it's better to convince people like Talias and Costas and get them on your side than it is just to kill them and replace them with other people because they are principled. Yeah. And that would not, uh, killing them and replacing them with other people or, you know, going after the people in the kitchens, purging the guards, etc., would also not solve the problem at all. The problem is that they'll respect him but he's solving that root cause that's chapter two next time costas has the longest and most bewildering day of his life updates from the tumblr tumblr user mage pie has reminded us that jen and irene have both guns and knives in their bedroom you've heard of knife wife say hello to gun husband gun knife wife Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Mystery solved.